this house. Let's magnify him. Let's bless him today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's magnify the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. We bless you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord here on this Wednesday evening. Amen. Shake your neighbor's hand. Tell him I'm so glad to see you at church here tonight. And you may be seated. Amen. Good to be back in church, back into Bible study and everything like that. Before we get started, I want to do a little little pastoring, a little house cleaning. A um, couple things that I've been meaning to say for a minute. And uh, hopefully you see in my spirit I'm not thinking anybody in particular. But just some things that we need to take care of. Uh, drinks in the church. We do water. We don't do sodas and all that other stuff. So please keep any drinks in the foyer, outside, um, or even in the kitchen area also. Because I get it. You come in in the morning, you got to drink your coffee. Drink your coffee in there uh, or in that back area over there. And then also, you know, candy, chips. I mean, I know I'm preaching good, but you don't eat popcorn. You know, <laughs> sitting back there just like, man, the pastor's preaching real good. You know, getting that extra buttery popcorn. But no, 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 no snacks, anything like that um, in the church. Uh, if you have a kid and you need to feed your kid there, there is a, a nursing mother's room. If they're a little bit older, not nursing, you can take them out in that foyer area. If they're 40 years old, you can feed them at home and uh, the Lord will bless you. But uh, just a couple more things that uh, I want to mention. And this is kind of what makes uh, church special. This is not the ballpark. And so we want to make sure we have reverence for it. When you come into church uh, let's stay off our phones. Is, that all, is this all right? I'm not trying to, I don't have anybody in mind. Church, prayer meeting, if you have to text somebody, you know, sometimes I, I have to text my wife or the sound man or something like that. There's communication for the sake of the service, but uh, no Facebook, no internet, no browsing. You can do that when you get home. Let's, let's take this time in church and in prayer, whether it be in the prayer room or on Tuesday night prayer, let's just take that time and be with God. And if we're uh, having a moment of, of preaching, it's just time to be inside with the preaching. Amen? And so uh, that's it. That's all. That's all I got for you tonight. God bless you. You can go home. Amen. So, no, but that just kind of, those kinds of things make the church special. Where we come together, and we've come with the intention of worshiping God together, and uh, hope you hear my heart. I'm not meaning that to to call anybody out, but uh, if you if you feel that way, you can talk to me later, and I'll 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 make sure that we are on good terms. And everybody said Amen. Back to our Bible study, Amen. Genesis chapter uh, 25. If you kind of want to just go that direction and have that held open. In our last Bible study, we discussed that Isaac is the new patriarch. Abraham and Sarah, they are in the process of passing away, and Isaac is now taking the lead of the family. He is the promised son of Abraham. When we carefully examined Isaac's life in our last uh, lesson, we saw that he was a man who was uh, full of some great characteristics, and you find these characteristics not only in him, but you find these characteristics in his wife as well. First and foremost, they were obedient. Everybody say obedient. Something about that obedience. When you look at Isaac's life, he was obedient to his father who took him up a mountain and said, we're going to sacrifice you. And he was obedient 
to his father. Everybody say uh, willingness. Willingness was something. He was willing to be a sacrifice if that's what his father required and what God required. And you even see this in the life of Rebecca. It's incredible how God takes these two people who were so far apart and yet puts them together because of some similar, similar characteristics that they share. She was willing. In fact, that was one of the prayer requests that the servant had. She has to be willing to go. And she has to be willing to follow the instructions of the servant. And I want to tell you, that is an Old Testament typology of the church. And it is the servant's job to go find the bride. But the bride has got to be willing to come. And as a pastor, I am not the groom. I'm just the friend of the groom. Amen. Uh, I am not the, uh, Jesus is the groom. And I'm just trying to, as a pastor, prepare you for that wedding day. But at the end of it all, I can preach, I can teach, I can educate. But you, you, you and I, as saints, as part of the bride, we have to be willing to go where he's leading us. Amen? We have to be willing to be obedient to everything that is said and everything that is taught in the word of the Lord. And then finally, everybody say trust. He was willing to trust, and so was she. She went uh, with the servant, not even knowing this groom, not knowing what she was about to enter into. She just trusted that if God had ordained it, she was going to follow God. And uh, subsequently, we find Isaac full of trust. He trusts his father on Mount Moriah. He trusts God to bless him in a time of famine. And he trusts his father again, and he trusts the servant to get him a bride. He doesn't go out looking for a bride. He just waits upon the servant. He waits upon what his father had dictated and said, and that's when it came. So those three qualities are necessary if you want to be an effective Christian. You have to be an obedient person. You have to be a willing person, and you have to be a trusting person. Now, again, we could talk about trust, and I have it another time. I'm not talking about blind trust. Amen. This is not walking with your eyes closed, but this is saying, Lord, you know better than I do, and I don't understand everything, so I'm going to just lean upon you and not my own understanding. I'm going to trust in the Lord and not in my own understanding. Everybody said amen. So Isaac lives a quiet and peaceable life. All that's really mentioned about Isaac is that for the chapter, he's just basically spending his entire life digging wells. It's interesting, and I had to notate this, that Isaac spends his entire life fighting for wells, digging for wells, digging for water, and where his wife was found, she was found at a well. She was found at a well, not only uh, there, but she was getting water for the camels. She was making sure all the camels had water, and it's incredible how God put these two people together that they learned how to live at the well. I want to tell you, the church is a well. There's something about coming to this place, and there is, the Bible says, the times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. The Bible says we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Amen. There's some people that have a custom that they just miss out, but it's like not drinking water. You can go a little bit, but you can't go very long. You're going to become dehydrated. And ancient civilizations, they focused their entire life. The well was in the middle of the city, and they had walls around the city to defend not just the people, but they had to defend the water source, because in a desert, without water, there is no life. I want to tell you, we are living in a desert world, 
and it is dry out there, and it is full of all sorts of mess. And if you don't have water and your family doesn't have water, you will not survive. And so there's got to be some Isaacs and there's got to be some Rebecca's that they, they take their whole lives and everything circles around the well of what God is doing. Amen. There's something about people that they don't just make time for church. They go to church, but they make time for other things. They, they've got their priorities straight that it says, I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. I want to tell you the first thing should be God. The first thing should be the house of God. The first thing should, and everything else. Something about that, when you make the well the priority in your life, you don't, you don't build a city and then later find out if there's water. You first find out if there's water and then you build a city. And we got to make sure that as we are Christians, that we are digging down deep and getting to where the water is on a corporate level as a church. This is why uh, we come to pray. We pray because we've got to get a hold of God. This is why we worship, because he inhabits the praises of his people. We're digging out wells. This is why we preach, because there's something about the word of God that can break the most hardened heart, and it can chisel off the things that are just causing us to be rough. And there's something about the altar call, where God can come and pour out his spirit upon us. And Jesus spoke of the Holy Ghost, that he said it is like a river of living water. It is a well on the inside of us. Amen. There's something about coming to the altar. And when you come to church, don't just come to church to hear. Come to church to hearken. Amen. That old English word hearken doesn't just mean to listen. It means to listen with the intention to obey. To listen with the intention to act upon what you've heard. And there's something about churches nowadays. They've just got stages. They don't have altars. We've got to have an altar. Amen. We've got to have an altar where you can hear the word and you come to that altar and you lift up your hands and you respond to the word. You come to the altar and you say, Lord, I want what was preached today. God, would you speak to me more? God, would you give me a word in this moment? Would you lift up your hands one more time? Come on all across this building. I, I feel like there's somebody that the devil's fighting you on your well, but you've got to keep digging it out. In Jesus' name. And so he... He digs out these wells. They were well people. Amen. That's what they did. And at the, he gets married at the age of 40. Amen. For those who are thinking you're getting married a little late, you're all right. He gets married to Rebecca at 40, and he didn't have kids with her for 20 more years. He seems to have a similar struggle that his father had. It's an interesting concept. Isaac prays for his wife, and she gives birth to twin boys. Before the birth... She was in pain. In fact, if we're going we're gonna to read these verses, Genesis chapter 25 and verse number 20, 25 and 20. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, and the, of, of Pandanaram, the sister of Laban, of the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord was entreated of him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. I want to just pause here for a moment to really just to talk to somebody that's ever felt like Rebecca. If I am so, if I am thus, why do I feel this way? In other words, if I'm so blessed, why do I feel like this? Anybody ever felt that? Amen. There's, I know there's something on the inside. I know there's something that's good. But why do I feel the way that I feel. And there's people that they have been in that condition for a long time. 
And often the things that we, we know that there's something good, but, but sometimes you can't enjoy the good that's happening because there's also these nagging and negative things that are seeming to rise up against you. And Rebecca doesn't complain about how she feels. I just want to talk about this for a moment. Rebecca doesn't go and gossip to somebody else about how she feels. She begins to pray to the Lord. Amen. I want to tell you, God is not afraid of our feelings. God is not afraid of what's going on and how you feel and what's negative in your life. and you, you never overwhelm God with all of that. She begins to pray, and she prays, God, if I am so blessed, why am I feeling like this? And can you believe it? God began to give her wisdom about what was going on. She was more blessed than she even realized. Verse 23, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days were to be delivered, to be fulfilled... Behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and, he t- and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and, he- and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare them. Now I want you to notice this. There are two boys being born. This is before ultrasound. She doesn't know she's got twins in there. And let me just talk to the person that's saying, if I'm so blessed, why do I feel this way? It could very well be that God is doing more than you recognize. And you're not ready at this current moment for what he is doing and what he is trying to produce. And so endure the pain, endure hardness, endure the struggle, because when it gets all said and done, God's going to bless you. And everybody said amen. And God gives them a word about this. He said that the elder shall serve the younger, and it's incredible how this happens. The first one's born out, and there's, there's some distinctions between the two. One is hairy all over like a garment. He's got, and, and the other one who comes out, and you just get this image. This, this one is very beastly, and the other one is, is just small and frail. And, and all that you can see of Jacob, and we're going to talk about Esau tonight, but all you see of Jacob coming out is you see one that is just one step behind. He's trying to become the firstborn, but he can't quite get there, and he's frustrated. I know there's some people, you've been that way in your life. You are always one step behind. And Jacob is doing everything in his power, even in the womb. He's grabbing a hold of his brother's heel. And they call him Jacob. Jacob, uh, Esau's name literally just means red and hairy. But Jacob's name means heel grabber, supplanter, deceiver. They saw there's something crafty about this boy. and We don't have time tonight to talk about the significance of names, but, but it is significant in Jacob's life, this name, that this is who he was when he came out of the first birth. Hallelujah. But there's coming another day where he's going to be changed by the Lord, and it's going to change who he is, and it's going to change his name, and we'll talk about that, amen, next time. But the Lord assured Rebekah that there are going to be these two nations, and they're going to be great. And there we see the difference doesn't just stop at birth, but they continue on. Let's go to verse 27. The Bible says, And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Again, you see this imagery in the Bible that he is more animalistic, more beastly. He is more interested in the field. And if you notice, Genesis doesn't use words just to use words. 
when it talks about him being in the field, you got to go back earlier in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, when the Bible speaks the first time of the serpent, of the devil, and it says he was a beast of the field, and he was finding his way into the garden. The beast of the field was never meant to be in the garden. And when you look through the Bible, the wilderness, the field, the the, the place that has not been dominated, the place that has not been cultivated into a garden, it is a typology of the flesh. It is a typology of sin. It is a typology of the lost world. And here you find Esau finding himself more comfortable in the woods and out there in the field, in the undomesticated land. It fits his beast-like nature. And yet when you read about Jacob, the Bible says Jacob was a plain man Dwelling in the tents. And even in Israel, you, you, you and I think about tents, we think camping. Amen. But Israel, they had an entire feast, the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tents. They were to remind themselves that we were people that were nomadic and we lived in the tents. And even the first dwelling place on earth was the tabernacle of God, was the tabernacle, which was nothing more than a giant tent. In fact, you find Joshua, who when everybody else leaves the tent, the presence of the Lord is there. And the Bible says that, that Joshua stayed in the tent. Amen. The tent was a place where there were conversations between the patriarchs and their children and their grandchildren. Amen. In fact, there seems to be an overlap, amen, between Abraham and... Isaac and Jacob, that Abraham, seemingly according to the time frame, is still alive, that he is dwelling in the tents. Now he's an old man, and he maybe doesn't have a lot of his faculties, but it's there in the tents that Jacob is spending his time hearing the stories of Abraham, hearing the promises of Abraham, and no doubt that Esau gets so tired of being in the tent, he goes out into the field. We're going to talk about Esau here tonight. And Esau was this hunter, but he was also unlike Jacob, who was a man of the tent. Let's keep reading the differences. Verse 28, and Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. There is something interesting here that, that Isaac loved his son, and I, I think it's incredible that he loves his sons, but he seems to have a preference upon Esau. And there's a whole word that we could preach there we don't have time for. But that, that we, we, we don't do the things they do, but we have pleasure in those that do them. And there's a whole scripture there in Romans where it says that we, if we're not careful, we will become guilty by association. We aren't out there doing the sin or doing the act, but we are observing it. And we are actually enjoying it and getting some form of entertainment out of it. And, uh, and that, that is something that you see a problem with. But if you notice, the elder son becomes this mighty hunter. He seems to be a man's man. And his father looks and says, this is it. But when you look at Jacob, he seems to be a quiet, domesticated young person. He's a shepherd. Again, all the way through the Bible, shepherds are represented as being uh, godly and good people. and It's using this imagery and this typology to show this. Isaac favored Esau, but Rebekah favored Jacob because she got a word from the Lord that, that her husband didn't get, that the elder will serve the younger, that the younger he might look small right now and insignificant, but he will not always be that way. Amen. That God had something special for Jacob, and you can see it in the life of Jacob. It seems like he adopts this. He's not afraid to dwell in the tent. 
He's not afraid to dwell where the stories of the house of God and the people of God and God speaking to his grandfather and God speaking to his father and God speaking to his mother. It seems like Jacob, although on the outside he looks like a plain man, there's a lot more going on the inside of Jacob. And on the outside Esau looks like he's, he's strong and he's got all this going together, but his heart is far from the tent. It's far from the house of the Lord. It's far from the things of the Lord. Now I want you to notice it's probably the reason why his father favored him. Because no matter what, what his character was like, he was the oldest son. But you notice the differences. Jacob is dwelling in tents, and he is following and obeying and honoring his parents. But you find Esau, he is going out and marrying women, not just one, multiple, that his parents didn't want him to marry. He is not honoring his father and mother. He is not listening to them. And he just seems to have his ears stopped to his parents. Amen. But, but yet his father loved Esau more. Why? Because he was the oldest. And in biblical times and even today in other parts of the world, this is still being practiced. Everybody say birthright. The birthright was promised not based on who was most qualified. It was based on who got out first. It was based on who was the firstborn. And the birthright privileges belonged to Esau. Therefore, he would maintain the superior rank in the family. This is what came along with the birthright. He would inherit a double portion of his father's wealth and his property. And as heir, he would assume the spiritual leadership of the family. This is what came with the birthright. Best of all, let's talk about the benefits of the birthright. He would be entitled to Abraham's covenant blessing. The birthright was treasured because it contained both material and spiritual blessings. Amen. This is why everybody would want the birthright. And I'm going to talk about the birthright here tonight. Amen. And we're going to really dive into this. And we're going to talk about how Esau was and how we need to avoid being like Esau. All of these things. But I've got to tell you the other side of the birthright. Everybody say this accursed word with me. Everybody's going to cuss in church tonight. Responsibility. Everybody say the R word. Responsibility. He got all of the extra double portion. He got the blessing. He got all of the, all of the spiritual things that come alongside with this. He got the Lord working with him. And he got the preeminence in the family. He was doing it all. But it also meant responsibility. It meant the responsibility to run the family business. It meant the responsibility to be in charge. It meant the responsibility to lead in difficult times. It meant the responsibility to be consistent. It meant the responsibility to take authority. It meant the responsibility to fight for the family. It meant the responsibility to be good with the finances. It meant the responsibility to handle the business. It meant the responsibility to deal with, if I'm going to make it really eloquent, the not-so-fun stuff of life. Amen. And if you look at this, we're going to look and see what did he choose. Verse 29. And Jacob sawed pottage, beans, lentils. And Esau came from the field and was faint. That means he was obviously not a very good hunter. Because he didn't catch nothing. He came back. And you know what? 
when you come back hungry, you just come to the dude in the tent that knows how to cook. And he'll take care of you with some Nally chili, amen, from a can. Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with some of that red pottage, for I am faint. And therefore, they called his name Edom. You know, one meal changed his name. One appetite changed his destiny. You know, one trip on the internet late at night can change who you are. Well, no, it's not that big of a deal. Now, let's, let's just be very fair. You can change, and God can redeem you. But, you know, there's just some images you can't get out of your mind. And just one appetite will break your marriage up. And just one appetite. Again, we're talking about Esau here tonight. We're talking about his role and his birthright. Just because he was promised the birthright, I want to talk about his actions. Just because he was promised the birthright didn't mean he got it. Because his actions and his appetites were about to change his name and change who he was. And there are people that if you don't watch your appetites, amen, just one trip to the bar will absolutely change your life. Just one party can absolutely change your life. Just one hit. Just one drink, just one drive, just one time of skipping out on church because you had better things to do. And I'm not trying to scare anybody into coming to church. Please understand, I'm just saying, when you step out on God, you never know if that's going to be your last day on earth. You don't know. The Bible says that we don't know the times of the seasons which the Father's put in His own power. And you never know what one indulgence in an appetite, amen, might cost you you got to remember, in the Bible, appetite's a big deal. In fact, it's a big deal to us today. There's a reason God gave us something called hunger. It was to remind us of our need of God. But we have misused it to, to, to create other appetites for other things. And even when you look at the future nation of Israel, they ended up in Egypt as slaves. Why? Because in the time of famine, they went into Egypt for corn. And, if, and I want to tell you, your appetites can lead you into slavery. One trip on the internet can lead to a pornography addiction that takes you 20 years to get rid of. Amen. I, I'm preaching from personal experience where I needed the absolute deliverance of God. And I want to tell you, it happened. God did it. But it took, amen, prayer. It took fasting. It took the Word of God. It took accountability to other people. I want to tell you, there's some folks that one party is all it takes for you to get hooked, amen, up with the wrong individual. Now you got kids. It takes one trip, uh, amen, to a party where you drink something. And now you're, you're waking up a couple years later and you don't know how it happened. All it takes is one, amen, one bet at the casino and you lose your life savings. I'm just telling you, it's, it doesn't always be a big thing at the beginning, but it's a slippery slope, just one hit, and next thing you know, you're injecting and not just smoking because your appetites got ahead of you and you became like Esau. You become Edom. And you look through the Bible, Edom is always fighting Israel. And when Israel's trying to get in the promised land, Remember, Israel and Edom are brothers. They're brothers. They're related. And if anybody should have grace and mercy, if anybody should let them pass and go into the promised land, it should be Israel's brother. But Edom fights every step of the way. Every step of the way. And, and Edom is always trying to eliminate car, they're just it's, it's carnality. If, we're, if you were to really look through the Bible, it is carnality personified inside of Edom. In fact, Doeg 
was an Edomite, and he was the one that when it came time to find a ruthless man to kill some priests of the Most High God, they said, oh, Doeg said, I'll do it. Because Edom had no problem just destroying spiritual things. It had no problem killing the preacher. and had no problem talking, talking about church folk. and had no problem about running their brother down. I want to tell you, you got to be careful not to become like Esau. And I want to tell you where it starts. It starts in your appetite. This is why Jesus said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness. I want to tell you, you're blessed. Uh, you're blessed if you can be hungry, you can be so emptied out of the world that you become hungry for the right things. And that's really the answer of how to change your appetite. You must empty yourself of all of the other things. You can't, you can't spend 40 hours on Netflix and have a hunger for God. It's not possible. Well, I'm gonna, I can do both. No, you can't. I, 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 I dare one person to tell me they've prayed 30 hours this week. I dare somebody to say, man, I prayed more than I was on my phone. Because there's something about the way the world is. When you get out in the field and you get out in the world and you're out there and you just get hungry and hungry and hungry because you keep trying to fill yourself up with other things but it doesn't work. And when he comes back, he says, I'll take that meal. And, and, and this is the craftiness of Jacob. And, and we don't have time to get into all the specifics of it. But I want you to look at this. He said, feed me this. And verse 31, and Jacob said, all right. I'm going to find out how hungry you are. We're going to find out what you're willing to give up because of your appetite. What are you willing to lose because you've got an appetite? And let me tell you, there's, there are a lot of people that this is actually the challenge. They have given up things of God because of an appetite. Because they don't want to lay it on the altar. I'm being very pastoral right now, being very real. They don't want to lay it on the altar. They'd rather indulge in this. And it ends up costing them spiritually. Where, why am I not where I need to be? Because you've made decisions that have led you where you are. Now, I've got good news with all this. God can redeem you. So don't take this as pastor saying, I messed up and I can't get out of here. No, I'm just telling you that we all have the propensity in our hearts and in our flesh to be Esau. But God doesn't want us to be Esau. God wants us to be Israel. And everybody said amen. And let's continue on in this. He said, all right, sell me this day. Thy birthright. I want you to notice how Esau viewed this. And Esau said, behold, I am at the point to die. He, the guy hadn't been out hunting that long. You know what it was? When you have an appetite, it becomes insatiable. You, listen, you get an addiction, it becomes insatiable. I, listen, I, I've seen people that have struggled. <laughs> well, praise God. I've seen people in church struggle to be givers, right? But I ain't never seen... A drug addict struggled to get drugs. They, listen, my, par my parents lived with the drug dealer. They would beg, borrow, steal. My dad would do repairs on the house. They, they were hustling to make sure they could get the drug. I want to tell you, don't be worse than a drug addict. Is that all right? Don't be less passionate than somebody who's got an addiction. Amen. If there ever ought to be people that are so hungry for the things of God, it ought to be us. Praise God. Don't let, don't let some thug out-thug you. Amen. Don't let somebody who, who, who doesn't have the Holy Ghost be more persevering than you. Yeah. Amen. Just get that grit from the Holy Ghost and say, you know what? I'm going to get a hold of God. But the Bible says, he said, feed me because I'm going to die. I'm going to die if I, don't, if I don't get this. And he says, what shall it profit? What, what profit shall the birthright do to me? I want you to notice how narrow-sighted he was. 
People that have an appetite don't look ahead. Appetites are all about what I want right now. Man, I, I'm lonely. It's midnight, you know, tender, right? There, and I'm just being, they, this is our generation we're living in. They, they, they hopping on OnlyFans. They happen on all these other things. They're, they're constantly getting on, sliding into DMs and doing all these different things. Some of them are married. I'm just going to tell you right now, you need to fix that appetite or you're going to lose your marriage. And there are people that because of that moment, they, what's it going to profit me if I don't get this right now? I want to tell you, if, if you keep the birthright, if you die tomorrow and you kept the birthright to your day, your death, God bless you. Amen. At least you died with integrity. At least you died with something on the horizon. But there are people that when they have the wrong appetite, they get so narrow focused and narrow minded that all they can see is their addiction and all they can see. And I'm not, I'm not bashing anybody. I'm just saying what it is. Amen. And Esau said, verse 32, behold, I am at the point to die. And what shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore to him and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Verse 34, and Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Notice the next part of this verse. Thus Esau despised his birthright. I have seen people that, and I, I'm getting ahead of my notes here today, but I have seen people that they've gotten the wrong appetite and they leave the kingdom of God, they leave Jesus, they leave his church, and then all of a sudden all they can say is, well, the church didn't love me. I'm like, brother, you, no, 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 no. The problem was you wouldn't break up with her. Well, praise God. This is, this is all right here tonight. We're just going to be very practical, and we're going to talk about some things. Well, the, the church did, didn't visit me. Brother, you didn't visit the church. Well, they, they didn't call me. You didn't call neither. They didn't text me. You didn't text neither. And this, this phone goes both ways, brother. And, and, you know, they weren't there for me. You weren't there for them. There's an element there where they all of a sudden start viewing the things that they once saw as a blessing and as an opportunity. And now they look at it like, well, hmm. Church is just bondage, and they people there hurt you, and people are hypocrites, even though they're currently smoking and going to the gym. You can't. I love how the only place that they, that people talk about hypocrites is in the church, but they don't talk about the fat doctor, and they don't talk about the overweight gym gym trainer, and they they don't talk about all of these other people that are living duplistic lives. But when it comes to the church, which is a hospital for hurting people, where you expect I expect sick people at the hospital, and I expect sick people spiritually in the church. But you let over some appetites and you start looking at those other things and you look on the things of God and you despise the preacher and you despise the church and you despise the saints. Why? Because you gave it some appetites and the truth is you're embarrassed by your decisions. But brothers and sisters, if you can find a place of repentance, you can repent. You can get it right. And, and he's still got a blessing for you. Oh, somebody ought to give the Lord some praise. Come on, let's lift up our hands and let's magnify. Let's pray. God, I don't want to be like Esau. God, I don't want to be like Esau. God, don't let us become like Esau. Don't let ARC become an Esau. Don't let my family become an Esau. Don't let my marriage become an Esau. Don't, don't let my walk with God become an Esau. Don't, don't let me view the things of God as despised. I have seen people make bad decisions, and it changes their perspective on good people and on good things. When, when, when some people are living right, Man, they love the church. They love the preacher. Man, they hug, hug them by the neck. But the very people that I have helped as a pastor have stabbed me in the back on the way out. Why? 
it wasn't anything I did. I haven't changed. I'm the same I've been since I got here. Amen. I, hopefully a little bit better. But, but, but there are people, they made bad decisions. They're embarrassed of their decisions, and they take it out on everybody else like it's their fault. I didn't want the birthright anyways. I've got friends that were called into the ministry. They were called to preach, and they went out and made bad decisions. And let me tell you, God can still redeem and restore, and God can do all that other stuff. But I've actually seen them go the opposite route. They've gone the Esau route. Well, I didn't feel, I didn't really want to preach anyways. I didn't really want to do the things of God anyways. That is the mentality of Esau. He despised his birthright. Esau hastily agreed to trade his valuable blessing for a single meal. Today, people make similar agreements. They settle for worldly pleasures, and they give away their relationship with God. And then they despise anything that has to do with God. You know, the truth is, the worst sinners used to be saints. The true story is the worst sinners used to be saints because when they turn their back on God, they actually know what they're turning their back on. Listen, when I was in sin, I, I just, man, I was just living life. I didn't know any better. But there's something about turning your back. It's like the prodigal son when he left. He said, give me what belongs to me. What was he saying? Give me my inheritance. You don't get an inheritance until the father's dead. He was saying, you're dead to me. And there are people that if you get the spirit of Esau working in your life, you'll start turning your back on good things, good people. I've come to just talk to somebody. And you'll make an agreement with your flesh, and you'll just start walking in the world. I got good news for the prodigal. You can come to your senses. You can come to yourself. You can turn around and say it's better at Father's house. Both, Isaac, both of Isaac's sons understood the value of the birthright. But from the very beginning... Jacob craved those rights, and Esau was indifferent to them. Esau despised, that word despised means to think little of. When you minimalize something, when you make decisions and then you minimalize the blessing that, well, I didn't really want that anyways. There's something about minimalizing prayer. There's something like minimalizing church. Well, it's not that necessary. It's not that big of a deal. Is it? Because when I first came to God, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I couldn't swim without holding on to the board of the ship. Amen. I, I don't know about you, but when I first came to God, I was so helpless that I couldn't, I couldn't even live my life without feeling depressed and suicidal. But when I came to the house of the Lord and he filled me with his spirit... I couldn't do this without the people of God. And then there's some people that all of a sudden, they I don't really need it. They make little. I want to tell you, don't make little the things that God has called big. Don't, don't, don't call something a grasshopper that God's called a giant. Don't, don't minimize the things that God has said are a big deal. I want to tell you, your walk with God is a big deal. The birthright's not a small thing. The responsibility's not a small thing. The blessings are not a small thing. The fact that you can come to church and you can hear teaching is not a small thing. The fact that you can come to church and you can feel the Holy Ghost is not a small thing. You didn't feel the Holy Ghost when you were strung out. You didn't feel the Holy Ghost. I'm not saying God wasn't reaching for you, but you didn't feel the presence. Don't minimalize praise and oh, that's just for the kooky, crazy people. No, that's for the people that got their heads screwed on straight and they realize I was created for worship and there's only one that's worthy to be worshipped and if you're not careful you'll get like Esau and you'll say it's not a big deal. You'll become, amen, like Judas and you'll say why was this waste of the ointment made and you didn't see it as worship. You saw it as waste and why are we wasting our time at church? Why are we wasting our money? Brother, you got to cast out the spirit of Esau and say this is not a small thing. This is the biggest thing. 
If you believe that tonight, you ought to shout in the face of every devil. You ought to shout in the face of your flesh and let your flesh know being saved is a big deal. Being in church is a big deal. Living holy is a big deal. Come on. Being a worshiper is a big deal. Being a prayer warrior is a big deal. I cast out and I rebuke the spirit of Esau off of people that said it's not a big deal. This is a big deal. Somebody ought to clap your hands and give the Lord some praise. Come on. On that, somebody ought to give the Lord some praise. Somebody ought to give the Lord some praise. It's a big deal. My praise is a bigger deal than I've given it credit. My walk with God's a bigger deal than I've given it credit. In fact, why don't you stand across the building and clap your hands unto the Lord. Come on. That hand clap, oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Devil, this is not a small thing. This is a big deal. I could have the musicians come. I didn't come to preach. I came to teach, but I'm preaching. Stop trading for beans. Just because it's temporary. Well, I, man, I'm broke, and I need the money, so I'm working during church. Stop it. Is that all right? Is that plain enough? Stop. Because you're going to trade out on some bigger things you didn't realize were more important to you. Well, I don't have time to pray, but you spent three hours on Instagram. It's not about time. It's about priority. It's not about time. It's about worship. And that is the key battle. And the devil wants your time. He wants your talent. He wants your treasures. He wants all of that. And there are people that they'd rather just trade it all for a bowl of beans. Well, I'd never do that. Oh, really? Really? Well, let's talk about it for a minute. You know, some people said, hi, when the Antichrist shows up, because everybody's focused on the coming of the Antichrist, not the return of Christ. I don't know what it is, but focus on Jesus coming back, not the Antichrist showing up, and you'll be all right. When they start lopping off heads, I'll be on the line declaring I believe in Jesus. You sh- you'd be shocked, but people actually think like that. Oh, when they, when they put guns to the head, I'll be the first to stand up and proclaim Jesus. But your coworkers don't even know you're a Christian. <laughs> I'm being the most b- brutally honest I've ever been. Uh, <laughs> and y'all know it, because five years I haven't done this. But let me just do it, because it's important. And I don't have any nerves going on. I'm not, I'm not mad at nobody. I'm just being very honest, because if I'm not honest, amen, some people are going to go out from this thinking I meant something different. I don't mean nothing different. Uh, oh, I'll die for Jesus, but you won't currently live for him. You won't. I can't wait to go. I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to spend eternity with him. But you won't spend 15 minutes in prayer. Oh, I can't make it. You know, you know, I can't make it to church. It's far. Last time I checked, heaven is a lot further away than your 30-minute drive. That was traffic. We don't live in the Bay Area. And I know people that drive an hour and a half to go 20 miles just to go to church. Oh, I don't want to go five minutes in my brand new car that the Lord blessed me with. I don't want to waste the gas. That's not the best use of my time. That's what Esau said. Well, what's the point of it? It's just little anyways. I don't really care about none of that. I don't really feel like it. Because Esau, if you look through the scriptures, he did everything by feeling. 
I'm going to preach on this here in a little while. Don't let your feelings drive you. This is the teaching that will save your soul. Do not let your feelings drive you. It will drive you off a cliff, spiritually and maybe physically. Don't do that. You have to live by the truth of God's Word. And you know what? There's some people, you just need to make some better decisions. Is this all right? <laughs> Y'all know me. I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. Uh, you, you've got to make better decisions and say, you know what? I don't feel like going to church, but I already made up my mind a long time ago that I'm not missing church. And you're all here tonight, so if, don't feel offended. I am talking to you. I'm talking to the people that didn't come. And if you don't come next week, I'm talking to you next week. Amen. And they're like, I ain't coming back to Bible study. But, but there's some people, you know, I, I don't really want to do that. I'm not, no. You've got to make some decisions that say, I've already made up in my mind. You know how you, know how you can be ready when everything goes wrong? You have to make a decision when you're in your right mind. I've just decided this is what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to, you know how Daniel prayed three times a day? It wasn't when they were getting ready to throw him in a lion's den. And Shadrach, me and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did not make a decision to stand for God when all of a sudden they heated up the fiery furnace. No, these people had already made decisions. I'm going to do this. I want to tell you what's stopping some people in this church from going to the next level is making better decisions. And sticking to those, some people made a decision in the altar, and then come Monday morning, they didn't stick with it. I want to tell you what's going to make you a, a very on fire Christian. Make a decision and stick with it. This is what God meant in Revelations. I would that you were hot or cold. What is he saying? Just pick a, pick a temperature. Just pick a temperature. Oh, on fire today. That's how you make lukewarm. Cold tomorrow. I'm not, I'm not giving anybody license not to try. Keep trying, keep trying, keep coming to church. Keep, I'm not saying, but he is saying there's got to come a moment where you just make up in your mind. Am I going to be a cold Christian or am I going to be on fire? I just made up my mind. I'm done vacillating between I'm on fire for God because my feelings told me I'm just so excited to live for God because I got a bonus on my paycheck this weekend and the boss didn't yell at me and, and therefore I feel good so I'm going to live for God. Amen. That's Esau living by feelings. Or there's the other side. I just feel bad so I'm going to be frozen cold. No, you aren't part of the frozen chosen. You are called to be in the church of the living God. You are called to be on fire. He filled you with the Holy Ghost and get. let me preach what John the Baptist preached. He said he'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Esau said, no big deal. Church ain't a big deal. They don't need me anyway. See, that's arrogance because a church needs you. I, I need my right hand. I need my left hand. I need my pancreas. I need my liver. I need both kidneys. Praise God. Yeah, I need it. I need the parts I don't see. I need the parts I do see. You know, there's another lie the devil told that, that, that as much as the hand can say to the foot, I don't need you. There's another lie the devil propagated. The hand says to the foot, I guess you don't need me. That's a lie. You are needed in the house of God. And, and let me tell you, you're needed and others need you. Amen. You're, you need to be there and they need you to be there. Oh, well, I don't need nothing, preacher. I'm real spiritual. Great. Come help the rest of us. Is this all right? Praise God. Soapbox gone. No, I've been preaching. I've not been on a soapbox. I could be on one, but I'm not going to get one. He said, it's not a big deal. 
I rebuke that lie. Everything you do is a big deal. You made your bed this morning, it's a big deal. You got to win in the margins. You can't just win in the majors. You got to win in the margins. You got to win in the little areas. You get up, you prayed today, you read your Bible today. God bless you. Awesome. You're winning. Praise God. Isaac, or I'm sorry, Jacob said, I want it. And what a, what a shrewd individual. He's like, I'll give you, that better some, bit some good lentils. Man, maybe he was just like a really good cook. Uh, but, but there's just, he traded him. Insignificant for the significant. The holy for the unholy. Church, don't trade your walk with God for anything. In Hebrews, when God is looking for an example of one of the most profane people he can find, he uses Esau. Do you know what the Bible says? The only person God ever hated, this is in your Bible, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. Pastor, this is really brutal tonight. God loves you. Don't give him a reason to hate you. Don't be Esau. Don't be carnal. Don't go by your feelings all the time. Get in there and pray and say, God, I want the things of God more than the things of my flesh. I want, I want what you're doing. I don't want to view the things of God as no big deal. There's, I want to tell you, everything in God is a big deal. The Bible says Esau, he was a bitter individual. The Bible says it was a root of bitterness. You know why? Because one decision made him give up something eternal for something temporal. And he never forgave his brother. He never forgave himself. And the Bible says that's why he could not find a place of repentance. It is not saying that repentance wasn't available to him. He was so bitter, he could not bring himself to an altar. The final, the final level for, for an Esau is somebody who will not bring themselves to the altar because their pride, because their bitterness, because of how they've been wronged, and just pray and say, God, I want to make this right. I want to take care of it. I made some bad decisions, but I'm ready to turn it around. I want us to pray all across this building. I know this is a little different. I know this is maybe for some is a little tough pill to swallow, but I, I just want to save your soul here tonight. I don't want you to be, I don't want you to be lost because you were so you were so busy selling out eternal things for temporal things and you were just feeding your appetites and you were you were just doing things out in the field and living in the world and, and all these other things and yet when it came to the things of God you just saw them as no big deal and you and then you enter eternity and you weren't ready for it because you thought you had more time but you didn't. I don't want to I don't want you to walk out of this building thinking uh, that you that you could you have all the time in the world. No, Esau, you gotta find a place of repentance and you can't wait. You can't wait till your last day. In fact, I want to open up this altar. I, this is an opportunity for everyone to say, God, if I've made minimal what is maximum, help me to maximize it again. God, if I have diminished what is what is holy, if I have profaned what is holy, if I have said this is this is not a big deal, I want you to I want you to just pray about it right now. And this is not an admission of guilt, but this is an opportunity. I'm praying it tonight. I want to make sure that in my life that I'm not becoming like Esau, that I'm not letting my flesh win out. I'm not letting my, my, my carnality win out. I'm not letting my bad decisions cause me to view the things of God differently. I'm not letting the way
way that I've been changed what God wants to do in my life. If you will find a place of repentance, Esau, I want to tell you, amen, it, 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 the whole story can shift. If Esau would have just found a place of repentance and let go of his bitterness and let go of his hatred and, and started forgiving, he would have changed the outcome. Somebody pray right now. I have decided to follow Jesus. Come on, somebody needs to pray about their decisions. I have decided. I'm going to make the correct decisions, God. I'm going to stop trading the eternal for the temporal because my feelings have lied to me, because my appetites have lied to me, because my flesh has lied to me, because the devil's lied to me. No turning back. No turning back. Come on, let this be your prayer tonight. Turn. 
Somebody's changing their direction tonight. Somebody's changing their decisions tonight. Let's love him all across no the building. Turning back. No, no turning back. Come on. Somebody magnify the Lord in this house. Lift up your hands. Come on, Esau. It's not too late to change your direction. It's not too late, amen, to cancel the transaction for the bowl of lentils. It's not too late. You know, there's, there's some good news for people that have gone the way of Esau. And understand me tonight. This is a spiritual principle. From the pulpit to the back door, we've all gone the way of Esau once in a while. Amen. We've all decided what our flesh wanted and not to follow Jesus. Gone by what we felt and not by what we knew was right. We've all traded things that were important and eternal for things that were temporary. Pastor, how, how dare you say you've done that? I'm human. I've done it. But this is the point where Esau had an opportunity to change. But he didn't take it. You know, he gave up his birthright. Well, Pastor, what do I do? I've made bad decisions. I've sold out, I've sold out eternal things. I've sold out eternal things for temporary things. I've gotten rid of and I've given up and I've, I've made mistakes and I've done wrong. Anybody ever been there? I've been there. There's still a blessing for you. Esau still had an opportunity at the blessing from his father. And that blessing would have been better if he, to be honest, if he would have lost the birthright and just got the blessing, it would have made up for it a hundredfold. Because there was something about that. And there's another story to Esau, bad side of the story. He lost both. And that's because of his decisions. But I want to tell somebody here today, God still got a blessing with your name on it. If you want it. But you got you to gotta revoke all of the ways and just rebuke all the ways of Esau. And just turn from that. And say, you know what? And the Bible says he could find no place of repentance. And it's interesting because after he lost all of that, the Bible says he, he went out and married another wife, thinking, I'll get it right this time. I'll get it right this time. I'll finally make my parents proud. But at that point, it was like, man, you, you're not getting it. You're not getting it. 
Don't let that be the case. Don't allow yourself to, and this is really the key for all Esau's and all of us that act like Esau. He could find no place of repentance. The difference between Esau and Jacob through the Bible, Jacob built multiple altars. Esau never built one. All it would have taken is Esau building an altar and praying through because this is the way the Bible should have read. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But it doesn't read that way. And I'll talk about that next week. So you got to come back and praise God. Amen. Would you lift up your hands one more time? Lord, we love you. We thank you here today. I pray, God, that everything that, that was taught and preached today, God, and even exhorted and, re- and in some respects, even the things that were rebuked, God, I pray that all of that would be received through your grace and through your mercy. And I hope, God, that even uh, my vessel, God, would be received correctly, God, that my spirit and my heart would be received correctly. And I pray that, Lord, from this service, God, that there would be decisions that were made that were not like Esau, God. And I don't, want, I don't ever want there to be something that comes between you and me. And I don't ever want to, de- to minimalize the good things of God. And I don't ever want to despise and look down on what you're doing and, and, and all the things that you've got in my life and the spiritual blessings, God. I want you to be the first in my life, God. I want you to be the first in my time, my talents, and my treasures. I want you to be the first of all of that, God. And Lord, I pray for everyone in this building. Lord, help us never lose our place in the altar God help us continually find a place of prayer and a place of repentance that even when we fall we remember you still got a blessing for Esau in Jesus name and everybody said amen let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise all across this building one more time amen shake hands be friendly love one another we will see you on Sunday at 1 30 p.m. God bless you